Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Ever had a friend or roommate that just had a way of convincing you to do something you knew was irrational? What about that girlfriend or boyfriend who coaxed you into doing something you knew was just ludicrous? What if they could convince you to do the unthinkable? And we encounter a creepy bird with a unique talent. He sees what us humans don't. Welcome listeners to your daily dose of creepy and unique stories. Our first story, My Roommates by Shannon Higdon, is sure to have you question our protagonist's state of mind. And Pretty Bird by Lock334 will keep you interested. So turn off the lights, feed your birds, and lock your doors. The second Daryl's keys were rattling in the lock, Katie was off the couch and racing to the front door. Did you do it? She was practically bouncing up and down with giddy anticipation, and unwilling to give him a second to even breathe. Did you kill her? Is it done? Daryl couldn't help but to smile and shake his head. She was such a bad influence on him. He tried to remember the first time they had met, but for some reason was unable to. It just kind of seemed like she had always been there. Tim and Jerry had been his roommates for close to eight years, and somewhere along the way she just kind of fell in with the twin brothers. Before Daryl knew what happened, she was living in the little two-bedroom house as well. Remembering when the guys moved in was a little easier. He had liked them both immensely the first time they had met, and fell hard for their sob story of growing up as orphans with no real family other than each other. That wasn't the real reason he extended the invitation, however. The truth was, they were fun. Age-wise, they were technically adults, but their maturity level in no way reflected that. Neither of them ever bothered growing up, and there was really no telling what they might be getting into at any point in time. Plus, they really liked to play up the identical twin aspect, and enjoyed going with the same look as each other every day. Daryl couldn't tell them apart. At the moment, Tim's hair was just a bit shorter than Jerry's, but most people didn't have a clue. Tim had told him once, quite some time ago, the story of how they'd met Katie in the area, but Daryl really didn't retain it. Tim had verbal diarrhea and a different story or ten every day. It would have been impossible to try and keep them all in his memory banks. Tim's condition was aided considerably by the fact that he always had a bag of green herbs nearby. Jerry wasn't quite the stoner his brother was, but he did partake from time to time. Daryl hadn't complained when Katie started hanging around. There was something about her that he found truly compelling. It wasn't that he had the hearts for her or anything like that. She was not at all his type. But she was sweet and funny, and an absolute dynamo of highly contagious, positive energy. He loved the way that she kept them all in line, and yet on their toes at the same time. For all these reasons and others that he didn't fully understand, she could talk him into practically anything. She had an innate ability to persuade him into activities that most people would consider irrational, and a way of making sense out of it in the process. That's the way it was with Julie, his soon-to-be-deceased ex-girlfriend and Marcus, his recently-deceased ex-best friend. As crushing a blow at discovering their secret liaison was, 
Daryl was originally going to just break off both relationships and count his blessings that he discovered the infidelity when he did, and not further down the road when she might have been his wife and he might have been his best man. It had been Katie who had finally got him to see the reasoning behind ending their lives. They were, after all, bad people. Who knows who else they would have ended up hurting in the long run? It was the same thing with Yuri Milosh, the Ukrainian guy who used to live down the street that swindled Daryl out of nearly three grand in his Ponzi scheme. How many little old ladies would he have cleaned out before someone finally stopped him? Then there was Pritchett Ricketts, the prick who kept pinching his clients by undercutting his offers on jobs. Daryl was one of the best small job carpenters in the area, but somehow that damned Ricketts was always on his tail. It was Katie that pointed out that the unscrupulous man must have been following Daryl. It also stood to her reasoning that there was no possible way of just cutting Leech out of his life, other than killing him, of course. Father Andrew Michener. Father Michener was the only one Daryl tried putting up a significant argument against, and even now it weighed on his conscience. Father Andrew Michener had been the pastor at the local Catholic church for nearly 40 years before he passed on. Daryl's grandmother, who left the little house to him when she died, attended services there twice a week, every week, until she died and the priest had grown fondly attached to the longtime widow. When Daryl moved in nine years ago, Father Michener had made it a point to visit the home and check in on Doris's grandson, and Daryl quite liked the pleasant man. Not enough to attend his church, but he did like him. It was Tim and Jerry who initially didn't care for him. The first time they met, the father made a light-hearted joke about them being freeloaders who didn't pay rent and, despite the lack of malicious intent, the guys who never took offense at anything had their feelings hurt. That was really no big deal, but the priest continued to make weekly recruiting visits and eventually Katie was the one to see the demons in him. Absolutely terrified the first time she saw the man and the creatures possessing him from within. She later explained that the gift was called discernment and that she had always been able to see unclean spirits. Daryl fought her for some time on the issue, but her fear was real and Katie never lied to him or anyone for that matter. She was truthful to a brutal fault, and in the end, he believed. He believed in a world beyond the one he could. He believed that Katie had gifts that he didn't, and above all, he believed her, when she said they would be plagued by demonic attacks if the poor man wasn't put out of his misery. It was, by her estimation, a mercy killing. Daryl had been hoping that moment of bestowed mercy would be the last time he would have to deal with such unpleasant things, but here he was again. So, she pressed, are you going to answer me or what? Daryl chuckled again, <laughs> and pushed past her to the living room. Are you going to give me a chance to actually answer? Katie feigned offense behind him and said, well, excuse me. By all means. Tim and Jerry were wrestling with each other on the couch like a couple of teenage boys and didn't bring it to an end until Daryl plopped down on the couch next to them, diverting their attention. Well? Jerry asked what they were all thinking. He hasn't said. Katie had positioned herself on the lazy boy across from them. 
For some reason, he's trying to play it cool, which... She paused for effect. Is not cool. The brothers began to fall all over each other with raucous laughter, which brought Daryl's attention to the empty baggie and green herbs strung about the coffee table. They were high as kites. Sometimes living with those two was like being in a frat house. Or having children, maybe. He definitely didn't take them as seriously as he did his female roommate. Well, Daryl finally spoke. Not that you two yahoos will remember later. He was looking at the twins, and they fell into another round of side-splitting. But, yeah, I did it. I cut her brake line. Katie's jaw dropped. You cut her brake line? She repeated. Daryl proudly nodded. Yes, but the pride only lasted a moment before Katie made her displeasure known. What the hell, Daryl? That's not what we talked about. You were supposed to poison her or stab her. Where the hell did you come up with cutting the brake line? <sighs> she sighed, exasperated. How do you even know which one is the brake line? Uh, YouTube? Daryl replied sheepishly. I looked it up. The brothers couldn't stop laughing, Jerry actually falling to the floor and holding his sides. Katie didn't find it funny at all. You looked up a video on how to cut a brake line, and then you went and cut someone's brake line. Please tell me you at least use a guest account on a computer somewhere else. She seemed like she couldn't even believe she was having to ask, and it was the complete opposite of the reaction he had been expecting. Especially when he could only mumble, I used my phone. Katie jumped across to the couch and slapped him in the face, drawing blood with her nails. You fucking idiot! She yelled in his face. You've screwed us all! Tim joined his brother, rolling on the floor as neither seemed to grasp why Katie was so upset. What are we supposed to do when you get arrested? Daryl was genuinely shocked. Why would he be arrested? I... I don't understand, was all he could say, and Katie shook her head with sick pity, but was not given the opportunity to explain. The next few seconds passed in a blur. Broken glass filled the room from the windows, and chunks of wood flew in from the hall, where the front door had been smashed from its hinges. Suddenly, the room was full of men in black armor from head to tail, flashing lights and screaming. Violently thrown to the floor and handcuffed, Daryl couldn't see what condition his roommates were in. Much like him, they were probably overwhelmed by the sudden flurry of activity. Jerked to his feet and hustled down the hall, he knew that he would probably be in some degree of trouble, but he truly hoped that his friends wouldn't be charged with anything. He didn't see them being cuffed and his name was the only one they stated as being under arrest and Mirandized, so hopefully they could be left out of whatever mess this turned into. As he was being pulled out the front door, Daryl called out over his shoulder, desperately hoping they could hear him. D don't say anything, guys! Don't say a word! By that point, it was the best he could do. An hour later, he was behind bars, barring the death penalty for the rest of his life. Toya Pearson couldn't help but to curse when the call came in at 1.45 in the morning. Raising two girls as a single mum combined with a job that could call at any moment, as the current call proved, sleep was proving more and more elusive. The moment the ringtone woke her from deep sleep, she knew she was done for the night.
She didn't even have to answer it. It did, however, turn out to be a rather interesting call though. The department had arrested a rather notorious serial killer. Not that it wasn't good news, one less sicko on the streets was good for everybody, but that wasn't the part that particularly interested her. It was his pets. Normally, the rare personality that fell into his range didn't keep pets. Not living ones, anyway. But this man had three cats, which were currently in the kennel at headquarters. Were it not such a high-profile case, the animals would have most likely been turned over to animal control, or the Humane Society, but given the uniqueness of the situation, they thought to call her. Toya's official title was that of a detective profiler, but everyone knew that her true passion was her feline rescue group. No one had a problem turning Katie, Tim and Jerry over to her, and, rather than put them through further trauma, she decided to keep them in the end. They won her over rather quickly, with their infectious personalities, and her girls fell in love immediately as well. The youngest, Sarah, even claims that they speak to her. It's adorable. Pretty Bird by Locked334 I am a certified nursing assistant, CNA for short. I have been attending the needs of the elderly for over five years now, and I have seen some of the strangest behavior from the near dying. There is one instance that I can never truly explain. I felt like some of you might be able to shed some light on the matter, so I took the time to write down my experience. If you have any idea of what I might be dealing with, please let me know. I am currently unable to find an answer, and I am unsure if I should keep this creepy bird. Madeline Wright was 92 years old. I can honestly say that she was the sweetest old lady I had ever met. She rarely had visitors, but every Tuesday she would receive a package full of peanut butter cookies. The package had no return address, and Madeline would claim they came from her grandson. Most of our patients would gladly consume any baked goods that were sent by Madeline, but saved these particular treats for her pet. We had a policy about small pets, that as long as they could be contained within the room, they were allowed. Madeline had a macaw named Pete. Almost every day when I would make my rounds, Madeline would be sitting by the window, sliding small pieces of cookie through the cage. Pete would nibble them and squawk in appreciation. I would check the room for anything that needed immediate attention, speak with Madeline to make sure she did not need anything, and exit soon after. She would watch with her little smile as I left and as soon as I passed through the door, she would begin to whisper to Pete. The routine was so comforting, but I always wondered what the two of them talked about. Christmas came and most of our residents were congregating in the common room. They played games and exchanged gifts. We passed out Christmas cookies and non-alcoholic eggnog. It was the best party we could provide, complete with cheesy Christmas music. I stood among the elderly, admiring the freshly decorated tree, and I realized that Madeline had not attended our little get-together. I made it a point to check on her every day, even if it was not my duty for the day. So I decided to take the trip down to the second hall and made my way to her room. Madeline sat in the dimly lit room by Pete's cage. 
She was speaking to the bird when I entered, but quickly fell quiet when I entered. She gave me that same sweet smile and asked how I was doing. I assured her I was fine, and I asked her why she was not participating in the festivities. I learned that her late husband had passed during the Christmas season, and the celebration only reminded her of that fact. I felt so horrible at the thought, and decided to spend the rest of my night keeping her company. That was the first night I was introduced to Pete formally. This little lady had developed a true friendship with her bird. They knew everything about each other, and Pete had a personality that shined when you engaged him. I could ask him anything about Madeline, and learn exactly what I needed to know. I listened to full stories about Madeline's history, including an embarrassing memory that involved Madeline losing her trousers on a trip to the river. Madeline blushed as Pete retold the story, and I tried to hold back my laughter. It was the most enjoyable night of my career, and I wish I could have had more of those. Madeline passed shortly after New Year's. I know I should not have watched her being wheeled out by the paramedics, but since she had no family, I felt she needed someone. I would be lying if I said I did not cry. It was the hardest part of my job. I hated seeing our patients die, and each time it became a little harder. When the room was empty, it was my job to clean it and remove any personal items that remained. My eyes immediately fell on Pete's cage. He stood perched on his swing and stared at me. His eyes seemed cloudy and full of remorse. I could tell he felt the loss even more than I did. Pete took residence in our faculty lounge. My fellow nurses took turns speaking with him and feeding him. All of them enjoyed the constant reminder of Madeline's life, but some of them made comments about strange stories the bird would tell. I chalked it up to idle rumors and gossip until I heard one of them myself. I was grabbing a cup of coffee while on a late shift, and Pete turned to me to tell me that I should check room 204. I found it odd that he even knew how to say those words, and dismissed it as something he might have picked up from Madeline. I began my rounds, and an announcement played through our intercom system, asking for emergency medical attention to none other than room 204. The coincidence piqued my curiosity, so I made my way to that room. Mr. Perkins had always been of the jovial nature, and most of our staff had enjoyed his company. He was a jokester, and I was sure it was some new prank he had come up with. When I entered the doorway, I realized that this was far more than that. Mr. Perkins was seizing, and his body shook violently. Several of the nurse's staff attempted to stabilize, but within minutes his body fell still. Mr. Perkins was pronounced dead five minutes later. My emotions ran wild and I needed to compose myself. I found my way back to the break room and took a seat with my cup of coffee. My hands trembled as I took a sip and tried to push back my tears. I sat thinking of how terrible it must be to grow old and be forgotten in a place like this. All of this swam in my head as I heard Pete squawk from the corner of the room and I remembered what he had said to me. I stood slowly, leaving my coffee on the table. I approached his cage and asked if he knew that Mr. Perkins was going to die. I received a simple, Yes, as a reply. I stared at the bright blue and yellows of his feathers, and stared into his dark, beady eyes. His tongue 
licked Eddie's beak as if hungry. So I dug through our bag of birdseed to feed him. The pebbles plopped to the bottom of the cage, but Pete seemed uninterested in them. He simply stared at me, and I could only wonder what he wanted. I thought to question further, but I was afraid of the answer I might receive. I dug through Madeline's uncollected belongings to find a few remaining peanut butter cookies. I returned to the cage, crumbled them into tiny pieces, and passed them through the bars. Pete gobbled the crumbs up and gave me an excited, Thank you. The following day, a letter was presented to me by my employer. There was no return address or any identifying information. She simply told me that the letter had been left at the front desk and had been asked to be delivered to me personally. I found my way back to the break room and carefully opened the letter. Inside I found the scribblings of late Madeline Wright. Apparently, she had written the letters after our Christmas together. She had been so moved by my kindness that she wanted to gift me her favorite possession. Her bird, Pete. I read over the letter multiple times and looked back at the tiny cage. The bird fluttered its wings and I stood to greet him. I pulled out another cookie and fed it to him. That night I brought Pete home. If he was legally mine, I wanted to personally take care of him. I cleared off a space on an end table within my sitting room. The cage fit nicely, and it would be the first thing I saw when entering in the evening. I knew it would be the perfect place for Pete, and I found myself sitting by him and carrying on a conversation. It was interesting having a bird ask me questions about my life and commenting on the events. I found myself laughing at the quirky comments that Pete would come up with. When the hour became late, I bid the bird goodnight and headed for my bedroom. A squawk caused me to pause and turn back to the cage. Pete stared straight at me and said, Room 103. When I arrived at work the next day, I immediately visited room 103. Dolores Wilson sat on her bed, talking with her daughter. The daughter turned to me and asked if her mother had been receiving her daily medication. I stammered as I explained that I was not her regular nurse but promised I would have her attendant come by to speak to her. The two of them were very confused, but I had seen that Mrs. Wilson was fine. I left the room and stepped back to the nurse's station, and relayed the message that Mrs. Wilson's daughter had questions for her attending nurse, and let the eerie feeling of what Pete had said the night before fade away. My shift was almost over when the announcement came for emergency assistance. I did not need to know the number before I started running to 103. When I arrived, the attending nurse stopped me before I entered. She had tears in her eyes. I knew the result, but I asked anyway. Mrs. Wilson had experienced a massive heart attack, and they were unable to resuscitate. I instinctively wrapped my arms around the woman, rubbing her back and trying to console her. The entire time, my mind went back to Pete, and the last thing he said to me. When I arrived home, I went straight to my kitchen. Pete watched as I passed by, but made no comment. I grabbed the ingredients from the cupboard and began baking. I was tired and ready for bed, but I wanted to get these cookies done before I found rest. An hour and a half later, I pulled a tray of freshly baked peanut butter cookies from my oven. I let them cool and broke them into tiny pieces. I returned to my sitting room and fed Pete. He took two cookies down quickly, and I could swear he smiled at me. 
if birds can smile. I made my way to bed, still thinking of the events of the day. The main reason I am writing this is I think the bird living in my house can tell when someone will die. That fact is enough to scare anyway, and I'm not sure how to handle it. I woke this morning and prepared for work. I made my cup of coffee, and I made my way to Pete's cage. I had made a routine of giving him a cookie before leaving for work. He quickly ate the crumbs I offered and when I went to exit my front door, he gave me a loud squawk again. It caused me to turn and look to him as usual. He stared at me for a moment, my hand still resting on the doorknob. His words caused me to return to my room and write this all down. I don't know how long I need to wait, but Pete's exact words were, Don't leave the house. Written by Locked334 Goodness, I'm not sure if owning a bird that could see into the future, and specifically people's deaths, would be a curse rather than a blessing. And the twist at the end of my roommate's was just delicious. The last part at the end, where his cat pleads, who's going to look after us? Both raises the alarm bells, plus hits home that our protagonist sort of knows Katie is a cat, but is out of touch with reality so much that his perspective is warped, giving us an understanding of how out of reality he really is. Poor Daryl. Both stories were just brilliantly written. Thank you so much for listening, you lovely listeners. If you want to show the podcast some love and help me and the authors on here, spread the word and leave an iTunes review. Doing those two things for me and the podcast is super helpful. It lets others know the podcast exists, and importantly, spreads the works of authors on this show. So thank you very much. Have a delicious morning, my Northern Hemisphere angels, and a devilish night, my Southern Hemisphere horrors. And as always, till next time.